far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that two of them still think doing a podcast called Digital Watches are a pretty neat idea is a pretty neat idea. These podcasters have, or rather had, a problem, which was this. Actually, this is the solution. Hey, Brian, what's this? Well, Jeff, this is apocryphal phase. (laughs) Yes, apocryphal phase. Oh, my gosh. I thought this was going to be, and again, we did no research on what any of this stuff was. We just kind of took it as we found it. Mm -hmm, And I thought mm -hmm. it was going to be another BBC production, but it's not a BBC production. Oh, it clearly is not a BBC production. <laughs> it is a Planet Scarrow production, which okay. is usually, they're usually doing audio plays of Doctor Who related material. Okay. Plant, you said Planet Scarrow? Yes, or Scarrow. I'm not sure how. Or Scarrow, the, okay. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's Scarrow. It's the home planet of the Daleks. Oh, okay. And this is a not-for-profit organization, and they accept donations, even Bitcoin. (laughs) However, for this program, the Hitchhiker's Guide one, not their normal Doctor Who ones, they ask that if you donate, to donate to the British Heart Foundation. So when they were doing this, they were not doing it to make money. They were doing it to raise money for the British Heart Foundation. Right. Now, did you do any research before you listened to the Apocryphal Phase or after? I did it after when I went, Okay, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you would say that because um, <laughs> that was my immediate response when I started listening. I said, you know, we've gone down some rabbit holes before. Yes, we have. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So before we get into this, I think my mother used to say that if you didn't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) Well, do you want to end the podcast right now? (laughs) Thank you for listening to this. A new episode is released on the first Thursday of every month. (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh jeff i gotta tell you when when i started listening to it i immediately wondered where we had gone or what happened to the bbc (laughs) i really thought i really thought it was bbc production you know because it at least has some theme music going in you know and 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 what you expect to hear but clearly after the first uh, few actors um voice there parts you quickly know that these are not professionals no reading this particular story no 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 it definitely is not so what would you think would be the best way to go about this i mean 
we could summarize the plot and then talk about some of these things that happen here like we usually do. <laughs> yeah, that's how I planned on doing it because I couldn't figure okay. out another way to attack this. <laughs> A couple of things I want to say before we get into it. Okay. The audio mix is not the best. No. I had difficulty understanding new terms and names. Yes. So with no text to refer to, I just have to guess or just go, oh, it's something, a joke I'm not going to get because I couldn't <laughs> understand what they said. Right. And to make it clear to the audience that we're speaking to today, the... Um... I, I, it appears that each episode is recorded independently. The doesn't appear that the actors or uh, voiceover actors are the same from episode to episode. The characters that go from episode to episode are the same, but there are new characters every episode. Right, right. But I also got, kind of got the impression, at least, I don't know whether they were trying to change accents or trying to change inflection or emphasis or whatever, but I got a little confused about who was speaking every once in a while because the voices seemed to change. Yes. <laughs> so during one of the first episodes we did about the comics, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that the listeners did not think that we thought DC Comics dragged people in off the street saying, hey, we need right. somebody to draw this book. Mm-hmm. I do believe that's what they did for the voice actors on some of these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's clearly uh, some of the jokes and at least some of the setup lines and stuff in certain parts of the episode clearly lend themselves to college-age kids. Yes. Um, and, and, I, and that's kind of the impression I got when I was listening to them. I uh, didn't get that impression, but now that you mention it, Yes, it sounds very much like a college type of uh, production. Right, because they did do a, well, you'll probably get into it a little bit later, but a long series of events uh, during one episode that talked about uh, education and their, their education and what, what they had to do to satisfy the lecturers and all that kind of stuff. And that's usually college kids stuff. Yes. But about the casting, like you were mentioning, the voices and the accents... The actor who does the voice of Arthur, it sounds strained, and I don't mm -hmm. know why I actually think it sounds strained, but it it does, and it sounds like he's trying to do an impression of Simon mm -hmm. Jones. Could be, maybe that's what falls apart there for me, um, and or and or why I was having trouble at times identifying the character that's speaking because there's a little less consistency in the voiceover. Yeah. But for me, the voice of Ford was much better, and he seemed to be the best of all the performers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would agree with that. So the one thing that should have cued us that this was not a BBC production is that all of the episodes have names other than Fit the First or Fit the Seventh or Fit the 23rd <laughs> or all of that. Mm -hmm. So... That, when I was looking at it, went, oh, that seems odd, but it never dawned on me that it was going to be a different company that was doing it. And I do want to Correct. point out, timeline-wise, this was before And Another Thing. Okay. So And Another Thing didn't exist. The recording was made exist. before that? Okay. Yes. 
Good. Yeah, so Good. it doesn't refer to it at all, and that's why. Right, right. And and clearly, right at the beginning of the recording, they kind of play up this whole apocryphal idea. They specifically mention that this is an apocryphal tale. <laughs> so Yes, yes, they do. And, and, and for, for that, we can allow it to exist in its own universe, as Douglas Adams wanted us to. Right. So in terms of it having a plot that was inconsistent with everything else we know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. We, we, we kind of have to allow it to exist on its own. And I really felt like this was an alternate universe answer, you know, to this continuing story. I will say it is. Yeah. All, definitely like an alternate universe. Cause it's hard to fit it into the universe that we know. Correct. Correct. So why don't you tell us the titles of the uh, different episodes so we kind of get an idea of what you're talking about. First episode is called Unsurance. The second one is A Convention of Arthurs. Mm. The third one is Exactly the Way That Bricks Don't. <laughs> the fourth one is The Sharp Edge of Reality. The fifth one is The Blunt Edge of Reality. And the sixth and final one is party time. <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, yeah, the way I intended to do this was to just listen to everything once, just to get an overall un uninterrupted listen, and then mm -hmm. listen to it again and take notes. Right. After the first episode, I realized... That I did not want to listen to these twice. <laughs> so, oh my god! So I just took notes. I listened to the first one. I think I texted you or something and said yes. I just spent the most miserable half hour of my life. <laughs> and you said, "Wait till you get to the fifth episode." <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> so I was bracing myself for the fifth episode, and it was nowhere near as bad as I expected. I'd kind of mm. numbed, I think, to everything. Yeah, I, I guess at that point you kind of do. But anyway, what when I read those titles, uh, I, I kind of had an impression of what they might mean, but I was wrong. And <laughs> 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 however, they do have a direct relation to the plot of the story. So each of those titles are relevant to the chapter that's being read. Yes. This overall is not funny at all, but you can tell why they thought it might be, you know, like on paper in, I guess in joke theory, <laughs> It, mm -hmm. it kind of works, and you see what they're going for. But mm -hmm. I don't know if it was the delivery or if it was just it doesn't work the way you expect it to. But mm -hmm. a lot of this, it's just trying too hard. So anyway, they start out, Unsurance, with a rewrite of the description of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. But they update the comparisons. So they don't use more popular than, you know, the omnibus and all this other stuff right 
They call it less esoteric than Ghoulgull, the undead search engine, more <laughs> wide-reaching in scope than a indecipherable word of butterflies and other excuses for failing at golf. <laughs> and that one is by Hardon Usex, which I'm thinking, oh man, they're going to start using just really explicit <laughs> puns. <laughs> And it continues to outsell Nebuloid Brinkett's controversial classic, The Ulan Kalufid Delusion, which has the words, Are you taking a piss? inscribed on the cover in Ulan Kalufid's handwriting. And I'm like, I don't get the joke. No, I didn't get the joke. <laughs> I mean, I understand what they're saying, but mm -hmm. I don't know why they went there and it doesn't make sense to me. No. So as you mentioned, it says it's going to explore the apocryphal phases of the book. So don't take it as the word of God, especially any words spoken by gods. <laughs> so the story continues at the U Sanitaire Supra facility, where the patients are to come under attack from a not unfamiliar source. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's like a emergency room type of thing, or I couldn't quite get what this was right it's it's basically what they describe as a giant hospital i guess where okay. on each floor of the hospital your financial status and your cure <laughs> improves as you go up <laughs> okay <laughs> so the more money you have the higher level you're at <laughs> yes <laughs> and the better your health is <laughs> so there's a nurse talking to somebody who's checking in who was short because he accidentally sliced off both of his legs, putting on his trousers. And his arms are cramping because he has to crawl everywhere. Right. He's given mountain... That reminded me of uh, the guy that wore out his elbows. Right, exactly. <laughs> so he's given mountains of forms to fill out, and he said that the wait will be five days. Finished with him, the nurse notices that the queue is now empty. Right. Then an android tries to get seen and is turned away because they don't serve robots. Right. So a little bit of, I don't know, bias there or prejudice there. <laughs> we don't serve your kind here. <laughs> yeah. Then there's a bunch of screaming and a deep voice telling the nurse that he can't stop eating. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I'm thinking it's the ravenous bug bladder beast of Troll. Which would have been the obvious conclusion. But he says that his name is Arthur Dent. Correct. Arthur Dent. And then they jump to Ford, who's already <laughs> there and hitting on a nurse who is treating him. And he wants to know how he got there and was told insurance. Now, did they say insurance or unsurance there? I couldn't remember. It actually said insurance. That's what I thought. Yeah, and, and the other thing I think that we're missing, of course, is that we don't have that much experience with the British healthcare system. Correct. So I'm sure there's a great deal of mimicry or joking that's going on here that we're missing based on their experience with the British healthcare system. Yes. So they describe this facility as being a 200-mile tall building and follow it up with nonsense not easily understandable. <laughs> I know. The story goes on to describe the head of the hospital, or right. facility as you call it, 
Yep. And uh, he's excited because he's just recently grown a mustache and uh, he wants now everyone in the building to immediately grow a mustache. Yes. And if you didn't, you're fired. And that's funny somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure. His name was Droll Scrupulous. Droll Scrupulous. <laughs> then there is a nod to the book where they give the time it will take Ford to go down the lift. Less mm-hmm. than 40 seconds. And exit it and say, hello, Arthur. And that's just like the beginning of the episode where they're narrating and said in 30 seconds, Ford's going to come in and say, hello, Arthur, which was right. all perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, when we did our infamous Valentine's Day episode where we edited and re-edited, <laughs> I was agonizing over the point where I had to say the following so many minutes and so many seconds was recorded afterwards. And I wanted to make sure that I had it exactly right. Correct. Well, he said, hello, Arthur, 57 seconds after, (laughs) not 40 seconds. (laughs) So, like, they couldn't Uh, even get that right. (laughs) And, of course, I'm bothered by the fact that uh, he actually recognizes Arthur uh, because Arthur, of course, is this giant, beast of a man that's uh, eaten the last 13 people in line they kind of rattle off their little few pages down the story that uh, he recognizes his robe yes yeah (laughs) okay and arthur tries to eat him but ford tastes bad (laughs) well they said there was something off about ford so maybe that's it that's right Ford wants to help Arthur get his original body back, and Mm -hmm. he tries the same we'll-do-you-a-favor trick like he did with Prosser to get the switching of places and to get Arthur's body back. Right. Because at that point, they've heard, overheard, or seen on the video the president of the corporation here telling everybody to grow a mustache, and that's when they recognize that that person is in Arthur's body. Right. There's a point when they do a revised version of the another publishing company joke that you liked so much, but it mm-hmm. didn't work here for some reason. <laughs> right. When, the, <laughs> when Ford starts describing the defensive capabilities of this particular building um, and all the armaments that he saw as he traveled down through the building. Yes, who would attack a hospital? And it's another hospital, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and then, of course, they pointed out that dying is the number one cause of death in the galaxy. Yes. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about the <laughs> Yes. So Arthur and, Fo- <laughs> Arthur and Ford go up to Droll Scrupulous's office and demand Arthur's original body back. Right. And they try to use the uh, one piece of leverage that they believe they have, and that is the fact that there's 13 people inside of Arthur. Correct. That they are currently holding hostage. And he'll digest them. Right. (laughs) If he doesn't get his body back. Somehow the nurse gives Arthur some medication, and he pukes them out in a rather disgusting piece of audio. (laughs) Yeah. And then they were taken immediately to intensive credit checking. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> they discover that the hospital is a warship, and they meet a Leviathan who is Droll's ex. Right. And, okay. <laughs> there was the one, the one funny line that they have here is that the ex-wife and Droll are arguing, and Droll says to his ex-wife, well, we don't even see light in the same wavelength anymore. Ah, yes. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a cute idea, but... Yeah. So they explain what happened, kind of. Simply, Ford stole money and bought ultra-comprehensive life insurance for Arthur and himself. It mentioned that he did this by using the Guide Mark II. Then it's mentioned all of the other Fords doing it too. But Ford was never listed as being from a plural zone, so I'm not sure why there were all these other Fords, but there were... I don't know, it was just, they they gave it a shot. Right, right. They say that Ford finds a, a, a bank account that has too much money in it and decides to steal it all. And uh, at the same time, every Ford in every other dimension does the same thing to their mm -hmm. subsequent other in their dimension. Yes. So it becomes a multi-dimensional, well, crime. <laughs> right. So Droll changes his body... And he and the Leviathan get back together. He gives Arthur his original body back. And Ford wants to go to a party. <laughs> Isn't that so Ford? Yes. In fact, he's leaving, as he's leaving the original uh, bed that he's in, he mentioned that that was what he was eager to do. And as they were closing out this episode, there was only one other thing I thought was rather funny, and that's... Okay. Um, that he's they they list all of the things that are available for having listened to this episode, and for an extra fee, you can of course get flatulence. Yes. <laughs> now we come to episode number two called "A Convention of Arthur's," and if I had to list the most clever of the six episodes, I'd say that this one was it. Well, it's definitely poking fun at us, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess it was. <laughs> so it starts out with a long example of how connected the universe is to point out that anything you do may go unnoticed. Immediately, the announcer says, it has not gone unnoticed that Arthur has been reunited with his body. So they are trying to keep the style of the BBC shows. Yes. So I thought, okay, they're they're trying. And then Arthur and Ford are hitchhiking together and going to get a lift from a guy, Eowyn, who will take them wherever they want to go, not just help them on his way. He is Correct. very eager to take them somewhere. It turns out that he and a crewmate, Coleflower, are big fans of Arthur and Ford. Huge fans, going, super fans. Yes, huge, huge fans. And they're going to a party on Bongo Star 1, which is supposed to be the best party in the galaxy. But they've already been to the best party in the galaxy because that was the floating party in the sky where they met Thor and the Rory Award winner and all of that. So Right. 
But I thought which it was, is the best party? Yeah, there <laughs> which you go. Which one I, is? I don't know. I, I thought it was described as a convention. I mean, that was the whole idea. Well, Coleflower has told others that they are with Arthur and Ford, and then they were given tickets to a convention, providing they bring Arthur and Ford. Gotcha. And then Eowyn said he planned on playing it so cool you could keep a side of beef in him for a month. And I'm like, eh, I've already told that joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, what's what's going on? Mm-hmm. But then it sounded like he did a happy dance and was screaming, don't panic, don't panic. And I was still trying to figure out what was going on. And the beside himself starstruck fandom didn't dawn on me that he was mm-hmm. just being an idiot so it did eventually dawn on me what was going on but when it first started i'm like i don't get what's going on he's jumping up and down with excitement arthur doesn't feel like going to a party which is good because they're going to be brought to the convention Uh, eowyn and coleflower are excited and keep repeating lines arthur and ford have said back to them which confuses ford and arthur But I have to admit that it's pretty clever that they Mm -hmm. just keep repeating these lines. Mm -hmm. So Eowyn and Coleflower are fans and collectors and think of Arthur and Ford as celebrities. And they want to take face prints of them. (laughs) So they like stick their face in some kind of molding compound. (laughs) Oh, boy. And then they do a pretty good guide note about celebrity. Did you take Mm -hmm. note of that? Uh, I didn't make any notes, but I do recall. So I will read it because, again, this is probably my favorite episode of the six. And this is probably one of the reasons. The problem of celebrity is one that has baffled even the most brilliant and intellectual sociologist for millennia. So it remains a mystery why some individuals should become more universally adored than, say, a brilliant and intellectual sociologist. This is especially the case when the most popular and loved celebrities often display less skill and talent than your average fornudu. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has a rather uncommitted approach to the subject. It starts by saying that some people are just better than you. You might think that you are intelligent, attractive, or have some other quality that marks you out from the crowd, but anyone with a modicum of celebrity could outdazzle you like a stellar implosion over a smoldering campfire. But then it goes on to say, should you encounter any so-called celebrities in your travels, you are best treating them in a similar manner to a vagrant in an advanced state of intestinal collapse. Gaze at them with fear and awe. Take pity on them if you are that way inclined. But whatever you do, avoid all physical contact. <laughs> Celebrity carries a high risk of contagion. <laughs> so. Yep, that was a pretty good note. So, off topic for just a little bit. I fucking met Tracy Lords. <laughs> I know, I am. that's amazing. <laughs> All right, that's all. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> so not enjoying being celebrities, Arthur and Ford hid on the ship until they arrived at the planet Pan Ardent. Upon emerging, Ford noticed that he could see Arthur's house. 
So they went to it. Eowyn and Coleflower brought half of the Jack Biscuit that Ford didn't eat to the person who gave them the tickets for the convention, and his name was Lendril. Uh, he was expecting Arthur and Ford, and he feels betrayed because all he got was a half-eaten biscuit. <laughs> I think I've been there before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all I got was a half-eaten biscuit. <laughs> So Arthur and Ford, they couldn't get into the house. Right. So Ford threw a brick through the window. Right. And that upset Arthur. And inside, Arthur noticed that there wasn't any furniture, and Ford noticed that there was a bulldozer outside the window, and it was surrounded by people wearing flat caps with donkey jackets and others wearing dressing gowns reenacting the bulldozer scene. Right. So this is quite the interactive convention where you get to be Arthur or be Prosser and go through the whole reenactment of the bulldozer Exactly. Scene. They do a guide note here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just out of the blue, that mentions Zaphod Beeblebrock's Appreciation Society. Right. And they're looking for new members, also skilled surgeons in limb grafting. <laughs> <laughs> and then they jump out of it. Right. So at the convention is the terminally depressed robot Gavin, the displeased machine. The mischievous math genius Billion, whose real name is Bertha, the supercomputer Widebrain, and it's all from the book The Lift Thumber's Tour of the Cosmos. (laughs) So this is what really confused me, because (laughs) what are they fans of? I don't know it's like it's so obscure that they don't even remember it for real anymore but they're huge fans i don't i I don't know how (laughs) how everything got mixed up with a fandom as large as it seems to be portrayed here does that make sense right right and and they are very specific at the uh bulldozer exhibit with their lines, uh, they, they've got them down pretty cr- accurately, so it, that was a little strange. And they messed up all the names. Yes, so that does seem a little bit weird. But of course, the story does get changed as often as it's told, you know? Yes, so Ford went to go get a pangalactic gargle blaster, but he was told that those were for poofs. And if he wanted a real drink, he should have this Abraxian stout. Lendril wants to interview Arthur at the convention. And when Lendril is addressing the crowd, it sounds like there's no more than three people there. (laughs) (laughs) That's all they could muster for their crowd noise in the audio version. (laughs) Yeah, they they, they didn't pay for any or steal any, like, sample Uh, crowd music. They just have a couple people go, yay, woo! And they didn't even redub it, so that sounds like more people. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> or they didn't even just go. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd went wild. <laughs> <laughs> so Ford met Dink, Arthur Dink, at the bar and says he wants to stop the interview, but is too drunk from his one drink. <laughs> 
Arthur talked to the convention goers the way Shatner did in the Saturday Night Live skit where he told all of his fans to get a life. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Except he totally changed everybody's mind, and they now realize how much time they have wasted. (laughs) And they all go home. (laughs) Yes. Dink told him he ruined everybody's fun. And here's where they reveal that her first name is Arthur. So then we get to the third one, exactly the way that bricks don't. Mm-hmm. And the start of this has the premise of when the Earth was being destroyed in the brief moment between the announcement and the detonation, the prevailing emotion on Earth was annoyance. Now, vast shockwaves of annoyance are rippling across the universe. Arthur and Ford are on a ship with another couple who are having a small talk conversation and bickering. <laughs> I do not know how or when they got on the ship. It is no, very I cramped. Don't no. <laughs> but they left they, they they must have left with someone at the convention. But then they yeah. didn't seem to be that treating them like celebrities, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So here's an example of one of the shortcomings. They notice something in the distance. Ford says something like, Oh no, it's a Vogon constructor fleet. I expected, like in the BBC shows, that there would be a crescendo of music. Oh right. no, there's a there's a Vogon constructor fleet. Boom, boom. But no, it was like dead silence. It was just like... <laughs> Yeah, the, the the music editing was a little unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I especially love when the sound when the sound of the music was louder than the voices that are being recorded. <laughs> right. Well, it's another reason it's hard to understand some of the things that they were saying. Mm-hmm. They were flying right at the Vogon ship, and the couple flying the ship were annoyed that Ford was being impolite and they would not acknowledge his pleas to steer away to avoid a collision. Arthur wanted to know if there was some position he should get in to prepare for the crash. Ford told him to wrap his towel around his head and put his head between his knees. When Arthur complied, Ford said, Good, now I can barely hear you complaining. So, Ford like, always All has right. an alternate uh, uh, understanding <laughs> yeah, of life, doesn't it? That was kind of funny. <laughs> so Arthur and Ford end up on the Vogon ship. Arthur lies down because it is dark and he believes he is finally dead. And then he does a poor imitation of the rant in the pet shop of the dead parrot sketch in Monty Python. Mm. Okay. He started, I'm dead, kaput. Like, he just started rattling off all these other different ways of saying you're dead. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, it reminded me of the Dead Parrot sketch. Okay. (laughs) They do a joke about a race that is referred to as boring old farts, who are actually gaseous creatures who believe that they were once solid and lived in a vast cave and are actually sentient excretions from the posterior of some other mighty creature and believe it is the afterlife. <laughs> so as fart uh, jokes go... Yeah, that was a good fart say, joke. That's a pretty good <laughs> fart joke. You gotta laugh at a good fart joke. And Ford believes there's something wrong with the Vogon ship. Because it's comfy and cozy. Yeah. yeah. So they determine that there is something wrong with the ship. 
uh, as they interact with Vogons and they're expecting to be treated badly, they are not. Nope. And uh, Arthur doesn't understand this. Ford is completely confused by it, and Ford continuously is telling Arthur ways that they should just jump out of the ship or, you know, avoid any interactions with Vogons. Um, I kind of like when you're able to tell a joke that isn't a joke and I don't know how to explain it, but it's funny because so like you said, Ford's trying to say, we got to get off the ship. Let's just jump off the ship, jump out of an airlock. And he cites that their survival rate of being thrown out of an airlock of Vogon ships is a hundred percent. Like they're one for one. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? That's cool. Arthur says that the odds of surviving a second time must be even more astronomical. And Ford reminds him that statistically, the odds are the same. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the deal or no deal thing, huh? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're told that the captain is fair-minded and will help them. And he will not force poetry on them, even though it has gotten better, even listenable. And then here, I just rolled my eyes and like, oh, really? This is this is the direction that they're going to go? The captain is not a prostetnik. He's an anti-stetnik. He's the opposite. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, I got it. This is a bit of a stretch, this whole scene, you know. It's supposed to be like... Uh... Moan has found his home here, you know? Yes. All of these evolved, or or at least evolving Vogons, uh, are now polite and, and kind to each other and trying to find happiness in life. So they're avoiding the major space lanes and trying to get away so that they don't annoy other Vogons that are still out there that uh, don't see things this way. Right. And, of course, during this process, one of the Vogons gets killed and vaporized. And becomes yes, a bowl of jelly. Yes, umph. And then, of course, when the Arthur and Ford are standing in front of the captain, then Arthur said, "Oh, I'm so sorry for umph." The captain says, "Why are you sorry? What did you do to him?" <laughs> yes. So now he's being held responsible. <laughs> right. So now everybody believes that Arthur is the one who actually killed this Vogon, and now Ford sees nothing but death in their future. <laughs> And then Arthur goes on trial for this supposed killing. The captain of the ship decides that his punishment should be to be forgiven. Yes. (laughs) Because they all understand how Arthur felt. I liked his defense. Yes. That he said, unless Umph was a reincarnation of Agrajag, he's not responsible for his death. (laughs) (laughs) So if he's not the guy I kill all the time, Mm -hmm. I couldn't have possibly killed him. (laughs) (laughs) oh exactly and Ford got the captain to appreciate Beethoven's Fifth Symphony yes he did so anti-Statnik trance was the meanest and cruelest Vogon he decided to start being nice because it annoyed other Vogons so his whole crew became nice and that's why they were all exiled Mm -hmm. so he was so mean that he was going to be nice to annoy people. 
I guess that's supposed to be that wave of annoyance that's interrupted this ship and it's possible. Yes. <laughs> Why? So they meet up with the couple from the beginning of this episode who were also hiding. Mm-hmm. They go to the bridge to ask the captain where their ship is. And the Vogons refer to Arthur as the murderer. The woman asked if Arthur has been murdering Vogons. He said no. She said then it was just she and her children then. So <laughs> it was it was them who were killing the Vogons. Her children are like worm creatures that are crawling out of her body and consuming other Vogons as they stand. Yes. And Arthur fended off the children by throwing a cup of tea at them, and it made the children sick. <laughs> so Ford found the depot, and he and Arthur go to get the ship and leave. Hey, halfway through. <laughs> right, and the funniest thing for me in this particular episode was near the end, they're talking about not going a bridge too far, the things that they just aren't willing to do, and they mention jolly Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so now we get to the sharp edge of reality. <laughs> the first joke was basically saying this. There is more stuff in the universe than there are beings, yet there are beings with no stuff. And they couldn't figure out how that was possible. <laughs> and Ford crashed their ship on a planet. On the way to the People's Palace, Arthur and Ford were approached by two petitioners who were protesting the People's Palace. The reasons were many and weak. They were actually protesting to make money. Because you make money protesting. Ford said he and Arthur were on their way to the People's Palace, so see them on the way back. <laughs> it's, that reminded me of when you're walking into a grocery store and there's some kid <laughs> trying to sell you candy. Hey, I'll catch you on the way out. Yeah, I'll catch you on the way out, then you go out the other door. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, this whole scene in here where they start talking about the People's Palace being constructed out of living flesh... That was a little weird. It was very weird. <laughs> this palace is made up by living flesh, and there was a brick in the wall that was going, psst, psst. And so they climbed this wall to get in, and once they were in, they were complained to by the carpet. <laughs> and then they meet Dartek. Here they try to do a nod to the meet the meat scene in the restaurant. Yes, and it doesn't really work. <laughs> no. Arthur wanted to not have the meeting in a house with a living carpet and living walls and a living ceiling. And he was told it was better than having a house built of dead things. And like you said, that just really didn't work. Yes, my house is made of dead trees and... <laughs> Rocks were never alive, and it's like, I don't know what I don't what that know. whole... It was a nice try, but it, it didn't really work. I don't know. Maybe it was a nod to all the vegetarians out there. <laughs> so the joke was saved a little when it described a bar and a stool in the bar that we would recognize in the most horrible way. A chair is being described as a tree that has been ripped from the ground and diced and covered in desiccated animal skins drawn over them for comfort. 
So, yes, that's basically what it is, but it's comfy. (laughs) (laughs) It It then does another version of the first joke. This time it is about space being infinite, but the number of places to live being very small. Ford was asked about Zarni Whoop, and he said he does not think he has ever met him. Well, he did in episode six of Secondary Phase with right. Zaphod on the space liner. So right, right. I, that bugged me right there when they don't do their research and make that kind of mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Arthur goes to the bar to get three Magnavox tumblers. And while waiting for the drinks, he severely injured a bird that was named God. I guess as opposed to a cat named the Lord. (laughs) Exactly. Later, the bird is called different versions of the Lord Almighty. So they just keep saying all kinds of different words that mean God as the bird's name. Right. So this bird is a God in theory. Yes. So we're not supposed to believe anything it says according to the very very beginning of the first episode right (laughs) the bird was said to be drunk arthur said that if god was drunk things make a lot more sense a reworking of the oh no not again line (laughs) Uh, and there's also another line in one of the books that is kind of in the same vein of that i can't remember what it is right now and i (laughs) I'm glad Never you brought looked it, it up. up. <laughs> well, I, I was hoping that you would have remembered what it was. Do you know uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I don't remember. No, that's fine. The city of New York was purchased by Dartek at a sale and transported to his doorstep. Ford told him it was not New York, and Ford was arrested. <laughs> Arthur was brought to the sharp edge of reality by the man with the bird. Mm-hmm. And God sent them to a zoo. There was an animal there, the Crushing Fog, that was the friendliest animal in the universe who latches onto you once you make eye contact. And then never lets you go. Ever. Never, never, ever. And can follow you through space because it can leap through hyperspace. Yes. And Ford learns that what they were calling New York is really the small English town, Stevenage. Then we get to your favorite episode, The Blunt Edge of Reality. (laughs) I thought I'd I'd lost it with the uh, Stevenage thing, you know? I mean, obviously, there's things to be critical about here in this particular story, but they're obviously English actors, and they're trying to overact an American accent and an American attitude. And again, like you described it earlier, these are setups that could be funny, but they're just so poorly done that it's not that funny. (laughs) Right. Well, you know what the number one rule of comedy is? Timing. Timing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. You got me on that one. (laughs) What rule is that again? <laughs> so I don't know that for whatever reason that's one of my favorite jokes because it's it proves the point. However, it's funny, so yes, then it, it doesn't prove the point. And, so. But you're right. I mean, literally, if you were to read these words and you heard them in your mind by competent actors, they could have been played pretty well. Like they could have played it funny, but yes, when it's done so poorly, it just takes you outside of the story. 
Yes, it does. All right, so in The Blunt Edge of Reality, Arthur's relationship with reality is at a breaking point, and not much has been said about the effect of this on others. And so this is a tactic that is used often, and I don't like it. The writer has an idea that can't easily be worked into the story. Right. So, like, to make it fit... It says something has been going on this whole time. We've just never, ever talked about it. <laughs> oh, by the way. <laughs> oh, by the way, yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, on another universe. <laughs> so two people, Clog and Barrick, who belong to a political party of which they are the only two members, are discussing overthrowing the leader of the government. During that discussion, they mention Arthur Dent, who was arrested and sentenced to death immediately upon his arrival. They mention the town of Stevenage, and that it was purchased by Dartek, who thinks it's New York City. And he thinks that because his brains are located on three different moons and are affected by their orbital shift. The result of this is that he is the only being who can divine his future by looking at the heavens. Astrology. So this is bringing me back to So Long and Thanks for All the Fish and that whole astrology thing from Rupert, but I don't understand anything about that or why it is being mentioned or why it's there, what it has to do with anything. I, I, I didn't get it. <laughs> so the writers of this episode decided to take the idea of rescuing a colony or colonies from Earth and relocating them to another planet because the Earth is going to be destroyed and changed it to uprooting an entire town and transporting it there. Right. They wanted to save New York, but the mayor of Stevenage lied and told them it was New York, so they all act like it's New York. So this is all those... Hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's like all this everywhere they're going and they're just acting like that and it's annoying. Yeah, and, and there was parts of that that I didn't quite get. They go to a restaurant and they order some breakfast and they're brought their food and it's they actually have nothing on their plate. It's all illusionary. And then yes. later on they say that these individuals are constructs, not real people. I didn't. Yes. Quite get I didn't get that. that yeah. Because the mayor said that he agreed that it was New York so he could save all of the people in his town. But right. Save them how? <laughs> yes. That they're not real. They don't have to eat. And and even later, I mean, near the end of the story, they, Arthur talks about going back here because it's so idyllic since they never age and they don't have to eat and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you do. <laughs> I don't get right. it. Because <laughs> Ford's complaining because he's starving all the time because there's nothing to eat. <laughs> yeah. Oy, oy, oy. So Arthur is interrogated by Harmony Deerchime and Foxblood Rainbow Smile before he is executed. And they're interviewing him or interrogating him about how he can be executed in the most drawn out horrific way. And Arthur tells them all the things that would keep him comfortable and healthy to make his execution last about 70 years. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good plot point. 
So I'm like, okay, that's thinking on your feet. Right. And she says, well, why don't we just shoot you now? <laughs> yeah. So the convention attendee, Arthur Dink, decided to follow Arthur and Ford. And she met up with Ford and told him that she wanted to travel with them and have adventure and really wild things. And again, I'm going, okay, it's a nod back to the book, but they've done that before. <laughs> Ford was tasked with writing an article about procrastination and turned it in 17 years late. He said it was because he needed to research it and get some practical experience. Thought that was funny. There is a guide note about a set of twin planets. It is mentioned that one of them spins 1.5 times as fast, so they have to work really hard to get everything done in a day, <laughs> and all the other planets lay around on the beach. Right. They do an example of a typical conversation where one speaks really fast and the other really slow. Haha, ha, get it? However, it was nowhere close to the 1 to 1.5 ratio. No. <laughs> hey, dude, there's always tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> we can do it now. <laughs> oh, well, that summed up that chapter. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, a little bit more. It was stated that Ford fit in on the Lazy Planet, mm -hmm. and during the explanation, they worked in a piece of Douglas Adams' quote, whoosh of deadlines flying by. Right. So that's how, that's where he was procrastinating on writing the article. That's where he was learning the fine art of procrastination. Yes. While they were torturing Arthur by decorating his cell with nice potted plant and bringing him a cup of tea... Foxblood Rainbow Smile came in and called Arthur a plural zoner. <laughs> right. I mean, originally they said they were going to execute him because he uh, was jaywalking. So Yes. But she implied that it was actually the plural nature of his existence, which is the reason why he should die. Ford discovered Arthur was abducted and taken to a strange new world. He and Arthur Dink attempted to rescue Arthur. They get transported to the planet by throwing a towel over the bird that brought Arthur to the sharp edge of reality. That's the third throwing a towel over something in the whole Hitchhiker series. <laughs> First in secondary phase to get down out of the cup. Right. Ford covered the bird. And then in, was it? I know it was when he was jumping out of the building and he threw threw a towel over his service robot. Yes, yeah. And now here. Barrick meets up with Klaug, who had overthrown the president, established a monarchy, made himself first minister, and rebalanced the economy. It took him 15 hours to do it. She asked for an audience with the king. It is granted. It was Arthur, not Elvis. Now that might have been funny. <laughs> if Elvis... <laughs> was on the planet mm -hmm. as the king. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah, it would have been. But nope, it was Arthur. Klaug reads the day's events to Arthur. An edict was announced for the mandatory wearing of dressing gowns. All other forms of clothing are to be burned. So many are going around naked because they don't have dressing gowns. <laughs> 
Arthur is told that he was transported there to the blunt edge of reality to get away from that crushing fog, the creature that latches on and will follow you anywhere. Well, it is finally party time. <laughs> oh, boy. You know what, though? I, the one thing I didn't... There, there was a sequence in the previous episode that puzzled me greatly. Um, okay. And I don't know whether you took note of this or not, but the characters kept repeating his name, Arthur Dent, Arthur Dent, Arthur Dent, Arthur Dent, Arthur Dent, Arthur Dent. Did you notice that? I didn't. Okay. Well, I, it, for, for whatever reason, that during during that sequence, he repeated his name. Every time they said his name, they said it twice, at least. Oh, no, I didn't catch that. I don't know why they would have done <laughs> I it. I don't have any idea, but I took note of that. It's like, there must be some reason. Are they like that? I, I didn't know whether they're trying to make it seem like a, a dream sequence or they were going to go back in, you know, some construct idea or something. I don't know what they were planning to do, but... They Every time they mentioned his name, they repeated it. The first five episodes started off with a Hitchhiker's Guide theme song that we're all familiar with. This last episode didn't. There was no opening. It, it almost was just like a cold open. Right. Then Arthur and Ford alternate doing another recitation of a description of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. And then some subtlety. Arthur is having a conversation with the bird like he was said to do at the end of Life, the Universe, and everything. So I thought that was pretty clever. Arthur's having You hear Arthur talk, and then you would just hear a bird chirp. Right. And then Arthur would talk, and you'd hear a bird chirp. I'm like, okay, they're, they're letting us or reminding us that Arthur understands bird speak. Right. But he's got a babelfish, so technically everybody should understand, but maybe <laughs> bird speak isn't translatable. <laughs> They don't have enough brain energy, well, the bird right. brain. But this is like a god bird, so, you know, they have right. plenty of brain energy in a god bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a sentence you don't think you're going to wake up and say. <laughs> you don't. It's, it's, it's a sentence that has only been said once. <laughs> oh. All right, so they get on a ship with Dink, and they introduce a new technology for space travel. The Doppler Drive. So half of the ship is red and half of the ship is blue to pick up the color shift of light from moving objects. Which I understand what they're saying, right. but I don't know why it moves the ship. I don't either. <laughs> but <laughs> Interesting observation. You know, it's just yeah. weird. So Marvin sent Ford a message that he was going to a party at the Sirius Cybernetics headquarters, and he invited him. Marvin, the downbeat automaton, <laughs> sounded happy, so Ford has to attend this party. Mm -hmm. When they get there, the party seems to be over. Marvin has been upgraded to a newer and more compact form. He's literally your pocket pal who's fun to be with. <laughs> His miniature head was being used as a ping-pong ball by drunken executives, and it was found in the punch bowl. Now, does that not sound like a frat party to you? <laughs> yes, it does. It definitely sounds like a frat party. <sighs> For some unknown reason, Dink said that Marvin was so small, she could fit him in her mouth. <laughs> and then puts him in her mouth. <laughs> 
and then spits them out. <laughs> and we have to hear all the boom, 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 boom. <laughs> So I'm like, okay. <sighs> the party was to celebrate the merger between the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation and Infinitum Enterprises. Before the party, Marvin was repaired and feeling great. Actually happy. On stage at the party, Marvin was introduced and then torn down and miniaturized. Marvin said that the worst part was that the party and everything was rigged to be a trap for Ford. John Jeff Usage, from the sharp edge of reality, appears. Twenty of them. Ford drained his finances in every reality. Ford said that life insurance doesn't come cheap. Right. He had to put some funds in place before going to Stavro Mueller Beta. I am now not sure I understand that logic. I don't understand any of that. Because Ford never knew that that's where they were headed. No. He probably wouldn't even have gone there if that's if he had known. So it's kind of weird. But, you know. Well, he certainly couldn't have known what was in store for him. Right. And even if he did, he wouldn't have had to steal money in order to make money. Because if he had the guide Mark II, he could have used reverse temporal engineering and done something similar to what they say you need to do to pay for your dinner at Millieways. Right. Could have just yeah, invested a few dollars, you know? <laughs> so none of that really jives logically, but it does create the antagonist that we need for this part of the story. So what you gonna yes. do? So it said that the veil has been pierced and he can now access all of himself in the multiverse and he wants revenge. At that moment, Arthur's latched on Crushin Fogg, who was described as an eight-foot over-affectionate walrus, <laughs> finds him and starts licking him. John Jeff Usage tells Arthur to say the word and he will remove the fog from reality. So Arthur does. And the fog takes Arthur with him as it disappears. <laughs> oh. He then is going to trace Lord and Dink's causal threads and make every existence and every reality a searing torment for them. And he puts them in a tube. So tubes are a big thing in the post-Douglas Adams era of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't quite follow this one. Because, I mean, if you're into the multiverse and that whole concept of a multiverse, it depends on, I guess, what your style or design would be. Because many of them suggest that every decision is a branching part of the multiverse. So mm -hmm. if you decide to be angry about this at one moment, and so you've got the anger, anger branch, and then you've got the happy branch, and then you, you know, so right. there's a constant branching. And so every different branch is a different direction, a different emotion. So if, if you exist on all of these dimensions, you don't have one mind. You, no. you don't agree with yourself you never would <laughs> because right. every version of yourself has made a separate decision than the one that you made <laughs> so yeah it, it doesn't work on that level and of course i guess that's the foil in the story yeah so arthur the cushion fog and the godbird end up on a golf course <laughs> yeah <laughs> The fog looks unhealthy, and then it dies. 
And Arthur said if it was not so affectionate, he would not have wished it gone from reality and it might still be alive. Mm -hmm. So again, Arthur is taking responsibility for killing it. Zaphod finally makes an appearance. He has been teased at the end of every episode. So the previous five episodes are like, next episode, and they mention something about Zaphod, and Zaphod never appears. Well, here he finally made it. Right, and every episode that he's got some trial or tribulation that he has to overcome to be a part of the following episode. Right. Of course, we never hear anything about the results no. of any of those trials or tribulations. And then here he pops up again, but only for a right. moment. Right, right. He says he's going to save Ford and Dink. And he's with Gag Hellfront for a surgery, but Zaphod says, ah, screw him. <laughs> Gag shows up and asks who he's talking to, and Zaphod tries to introduce him to his friends. He is told he needs no other friend than Gag and the nurse, and Gag convinces Zaphod that he's not on a subetha communicator, but he is talking to a bowl of soup. <laughs> so, after that was all over, I guess I realized that Zaphod is actually communicating through what appears to be a bowl of soup. But I did <laughs> not quite sure. Oh, only the lumpy bits. <laughs> so here they did something that I liked. Okay. Ford and Dink are asking Gag why he would not let Zaphod rescue them. Ford says something, then Gag says, well... And then he pauses. Dink says something, Gag says... Well, and he pauses again. Mm-hmm. Then Ford says something, and Gag says, "Well," and he pauses. <laughs> He's just this guy, you know. So it's like they're gonna do the line, but they weren't gonna just do it. They were gonna make you wait and tease you that they might not actually do the line, right? And they actually did it well. Yes, they did. Arthur has been wandering the golf course, and he comes upon the caretaker's cabin. Arthur can hear the narrator of the story and wonders where the voice is coming from. (laughs) Did you follow all this? (laughs) uh, This is like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay. The narration continues and Mm -hmm. is described as a room on the second floor of a cabin where the narrator is, and Arthur meets the narrator. (laughs) It said, Arthur had to listen to, but did not understand, the self-referential meta-narrative. <laughs> Nor did we. <laughs> or did we. <laughs> Arthur wanted to find a way back to help Ford and Dink. Arthur has the power to alter the narrative at its source. Outside the cottage is a blue Volvo estate, like Arthur used to drive. It could take him to his friends, or it could take him home to an earth that has not been destroyed. But that's impossible, because they've all been destroyed. (laughs) So Arthur gets into the car along with the bird. The bird starts speaking to him in English. Arthur is surprised and thinks he is going mad. (laughs) All right, two things. (laughs) I guess I take back what I said about the subtleness I enjoyed at the beginning when he was talking to the bird when it was chirping. Mm-hmm. And I hate that I have to find another way to say tweeted. 
He X'd his way through life. And secondly, does he still not have that Babel fish and is used to hearing things and understanding them from all these different sources? So, yes, he should be, yes. I know I've mentioned that whole thing before, mm-hmm. but again, it's really making me think about it here. So Arthur has to drive the car and decide which fork in the road to take. He goes back to Ford and ran over one of the usages. Another one of the usages kills the bird. Arthur said usage's plan was stupid and one of the usages agreed, causing a mutiny. After arguing with himself, usage disappeared one by one back to each of their realities, except for the one that Arthur ran over. <laughs> we are told the universe, though infinite, will eventually end. Mm-hmm. It then lists a few reasons we might be disappointed. <laughs> uh, one of them is having spent the last four hours listening to this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one, there was not enough Marvin. Mm-hmm. I will agree, there was not enough Marvin. The long-awaited return of Zaphod was an enormous combo. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'll agree with that one too. <laughs> That the pan-dimensional super-being, Jandrich usage, turned out to be so one-dimensional. Okay, that's kind of a funny joke. Yes. <laughs> it is far more likely, though, that most of you didn't follow anything of the story whatsoever and have been sitting there with a baffled expression <laughs> throughout the proceedings. <laughs> so they even know that it's a bunch of nonsense. So Zarni Whoop finds Ford, and he wants a word with both him about his expenses and Arthur because Ford registered him as a researcher. And he hasn't written anything. No. <laughs> and they hitch a lift with Dink. Right. And that's where the story ends. But here, right at the end, I do really appreciate the final lines of this particular audio play. Okay. And that's, of course, when they thank Douglas Adams for having existed and writing all of this material. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, they have to thank. The... I know, but it seems sincere. And that's what I liked about oh, absolutely. The, way was... <laughs> yes. the way he said it in the, the, you know, the last part of the, the play. I was like, you know, I like that. I do want to mention here, and, and I don't think either of us did this on purpose. You and I have had a number of discussions about the type of material and the material that we're going to look into. And we're, we're trying to stay true to the Douglas Adams line here. Um, yes. Which is why we, we listened to the hexagonal phase, because that was an approved Douglas Adams. We I guess right. we didn't know going in that this was what it was. And this is really... Based on my interpretation, it's really just fan fiction. And uh, we specifically, you and I specifically said that was an area that we were not going to go down. But somehow we managed to stumble our way through it. And uh, here we have presented what can only be defined in my book as uh, fan fiction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100% this this is fan fiction. And... Yeah, we did say we weren't going to do it at all, but then we kind of wavered on that. But we did not expect to do it 
so soon. <laughs> and we fell into it. I mean, obviously, after you and I listened to the first episode, we're like, uh-oh, did we make a mistake here? <laughs> yeah, but then we were kind of committed. Uh, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> And after we listening, have I feel like I should be committed. <laughs> yeah. We could have certainly changed mm-hmm. and said, hey, I know that we said we were going to do this, but after listening to it, the first episode, we decided that we were going to do something else. But <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Typical. Typical. So, Jeff, what's next in store for us? Well, I want to do something to really, you know, cleanse the palate from from this. Okay. And I think that the best way to do that is with one of Douglas Adams' passion projects. Excellent. And he was very much into the environment and ecology and uh, species that were about to go extinct. So he wrote a book called Last Chance to See, where he went around to see some of these animals that were on the endangered list. Like, pretty soon, you won't be able to see them. Right. This will be exciting, and it'll certainly be divergent from what we've done before, because it won't be focused on his humor, but it will be focused on his life and his passion. Right. I think this will be the first nonfiction book that we do. That's right. It it will be. Last Chance to See will be coming the first Thursday in January. Fantastic. So now that we know what's happening next time, this is the end. Thank you for listening to this. A new episode is released on the first Thursday of every month. A special thank you goes out to Luke, Max, Greg, and Tim Lesnick, for arranging and performing our opening theme. Visit our website at digitalwatchesareaprettyneatidea.buzzsprout.com. While there, you can find links to all of my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy-inspired t-shirt designs. You can contact us via email at digitalwatchespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook at Digital Watches Are a Pretty Neat Idea. You can message us on Twitter or should I say X, at Watches Idea, and our Instagram is Watches Idea Podcast. This has been a Fruits for Thought production.